Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share the inspiring story of someone who has faced their share of vulnerability and been able to find success and fulfillment. We hope all our stories will help you find the strength within yourself to live the life you want and find success of your own. Ian McEwen said, A person is, among all else, a material thing, easily torn and not easily mended. This is episode 13 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Sam Demma. From being too shy to ask a girl to the school dance, to being too stubborn to ask for help even if it meant literally peeing his pants. He would begin learning major life lessons at a young age, and it's helping him on his journey now. An amazing soccer player with dreams of going professional, he poured blood, sweat, and tears into the sport, and his dreams almost came true. With a scholarship on the line, he started the game of his life on cloud nine, but then a slide tackle, something he'd experienced many times, would take him out of the game. This was just the beginning of a number of injuries that would eventually lead him to leaving the sport he loved so much. With all of his identity tied to that one thing for so many years, he was left feeling lost and searching for something to give him meaning. Little did he know that one class and one teacher would lead him to realizing that life wasn't about the grand acts we're all trying to achieve. It's more about the small, consistent actions we take throughout our lives. This led him to picking up garbage on his way home, hoping to make his own small impact on the environment. Then, with one of his best friends, they co-founded a movement called Pick Waste. They began performing one-hour weekly cleanups and made a huge impact over the next two years. They filled over 1,200 bags of litter, picked up over 21,000 cigarette butts, and got their work featured all over national news. But was this his new passion? After signing up to take environmental studies in university, he would quickly realize that he was repeating his past and tying his identity to just one thing. Now at the age of 20, he's still making a difference in the world through continuing the pick waste movement, but an even bigger impact by traveling throughout Canada to speak to students about how they too can turn their dreams into reality through small consistent actions. He's proof that no matter what age or what hurdles you've had to overcome, there is always an opportunity to learn and grow. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Sam Demma. Hey, Sam, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. Um, man, I can't thank you enough uh, just for helping me get started with this. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, it was one conversation with Sam uh, that really got sparked this, this whole podcast getting started. He started a podcast uh, about six months ago, I would say. Um, and, uh, you know, I just w- reached out and said, Hey, can we get together for a coffee? And I'm just looking for some advice and all the tips he gave me led to where I'm at right now. So I appreciate you, man. I appreciate just even your friendship in general over the last couple of years and you know, meeting somebody as, as young as yourself, that seems to be as self-aware as you are and as clear as you are on what you want in life is also inspiring to me. So again, thank you for coming on. Yeah, man. I'm super excited to be here. The coffee chat was amazing. Also from my perspective, you taught me a ton and uh, I'm excited to see where this show goes, dude. I know it's not live yet when we're recording this video, but when it is, I'm, I'm super excited to tune into the other interviews and, and see where you take it. So glad to be here. Thanks, man. Thanks. So the first question I ask every guest is what is your definition of vulnerability? Hmm. Hey guys, he didn't tell me he was going to ask this question. Just <laughs> uh, my definition of vulnerability would be, um, I think for me, it would be 
accepting the things in life that cause you stress and anxiety and uh, whether that be a flaw that you have, uh, whether that be an action that you're really scared to take, um, accepting those things, but not just accepting them, embracing them because it's like a part of who you are. And if that's a flaw, embracing it, or if that's an action, taking it. Um, I think that would be like my kind of definition of it. Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> and the one, the one thing I always say at the end of people's definition is what amazes me is how everybody's definition is completely different. There might be small similarities, but literally every person has a different definition. And I think that's the cool part about the, the whole vulnerable thing that I'm trying to do here is that everybody's situation is different. The vulnerabilities they face are different and just even their definition is different. And I, and I think that gives some context to the people listening. So what would you say your earliest memory of facing vulnerability or going through some sort of struggle would be? I know you're fairly young still, but you know, what would you say your earliest memory is? Earliest memory. So I don't have a great memory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm 20 now. I'm trying to think. Um, earliest vulnerable it'd probably be like a high school dance like asking another girl to dance to be completely honest with you (laughs) in terms of like a spot where you know you're gonna get rejected by asking someone something that you really don't know the answer to um a little later on in my life like maybe when i was like 13 i had a really embarrassing slash vulnerable moment uh, on a vacation snorkeling in jamaica with my family and we got out of the water after the third location and immediately i sat down on the bench on the boat and I looked at my dad and I was like, dad, I really got to pee. <laughs> my dad was like, like, just tell the guy in the boat, like, why didn't you go in the water? And I was like, oh, I know, like, I didn't want to pee because I was swimming right beside the instructor. <laughs> and then he was like, just go tap him on his shoulder, tell him to pull over. Like, it'll only be 15 minute boat ride, you'll be fine. And uh, it turns out the guy driving was a nice guy, which is usually a great thing. But in this scenario, terrible thing. Um, he turned around after five minutes and was like, Today's your lucky day, everyone. I'm taking you on an hour tour around the island. <laughs> I didn't even say a word, dude. I just crossed my legs, <laughs> looked at my dad. <laughs> and uh, 45 minutes into the boat ride, it was so bad. The pain was so bad. And uh, it just started happening. <laughs> on the boat. Running down my leg. And I just stood up and I jumped myself off the boat. And uh, I was extremely embarrassed. I swam back to shore. It took me like five minutes. Um, it was just, it was terrible. Um, that's more of like a joking kind of example, but again, like that was one thing that kind of stuck with me to this day. And I actually still talk about it in some of my presentations. So it's interesting. Um, I'm trying to think about any other like earlier vulnerable moments. Uh, I think those two kind of stand out. I'd have to really reflect back to pull more examples, but yeah. No, but I mean, even the one where you talked about being at like going to a dance and asking a girl to dance, I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with at an earlier age in terms of just confidence. And I mean, people that know you like myself, and I'm sure a lot of some of the people that will be listening to this, I mean, you're a pretty um, good public speaker now. And so I could see how, you know, if people were to look at you now, they would go, there's no way, <laughs> like, there's no way that is standing in front of us at these talks and everything as confident as he is ever had an issue talking to a girl. But yeah. at the end of the day, we all sort of had to come from somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So, what did you do? Um, you know, I'm sure you did finally ask the girl to dance or to the dance or whatever, but like, what did you do to help yourself sort of get through this or overcome that vulnerability? Yeah. Um, well, I'll give you an even more recent example because I was back in elementary school, uh, but six months ago I was in Costa Rica with my family and, uh, I fell in love with Latin dancing and I don't know anything about it at the time. I knew nothing about it, but I felt the urge to learn how to dance. And so 
although I knew I couldn't and I was scarred from that elementary school dance all the way up until the age of 19, <laughs> I, uh, I firstly made a decision when I got there that I wanted to learn how to dance. And I told myself, like, I'm going to learn how to dance on this trip no matter what, regardless of what anyone else says or does. And so on the third night of our vacation at 11 p.m. when like my parents would be going to sleep, I grabbed my sister and I was like, let's go to the disco and let's learn how to dance. And so we showed up to the club and it was all fun and games. The DJ knew that it would be filled with all these Western tourists. So he was playing songs that I could literally dance to by myself and I had no problem dancing by myself. And then at 12 a.m., this club was situated off the resort. So uh, the music changed from Drake to Prince Royce from Post Malone to Romeo Santos, all these Spanish artists. <laughs> and in the span of 15 seconds, every guy and girl grabbed a partner, went to the middle of the dance floor, shot their arms up like this, and started doing this crazy dance. And I had no clue what was going on. I looked down towards the ground and reminded myself, like you just said, I'm a pretty confident guy. I speak to uh, students across Canada. I was an athlete growing up. Dancing, I could do this, this is easy. <laughs> so I scanned the room, found a girl who wasn't dancing with anyone, walked up to her, grabbed her by her hands, huge smile on her face, brought her right into the middle of the dance floor. The worst 20 seconds of her life. <laughs> and the reason I say 20 seconds is because literally trying to dance with this girl after 20 seconds, she put up her hand and she said, un momento, which means just a moment. She turned to her left to grab another guy, used his shoulder to bump me out of the way, and then they start dancing. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's my time to leave the club. And so I went back to the hotel room. The, the story's all going somewhere. There's something to get yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Went back to the hotel room, sat on the bed, and I was like, okay, like, what in the world just happened? And I regrouped, and I was like, no, I made a decision. I'm going to learn how to dance on this trip, regardless of what happens, regardless of what other people think. I'm going to learn. And so I made a plan. The plan was simple. Step one, learn how to say teach me in Spanish. The word is enseñame. It came up on Google Translate. The second part of the plan was to try and learn the four basic steps to the dance they were all doing called the bachata. And so the next morning when my parents and sister went to breakfast, I played stupid like I was still sleeping in bed. And uh, when they left for the buffet, I woke up, left the lights off because I, I didn't want them to know that I, I woke up, opened my laptop and for like three hours watched YouTube videos dancing in the mirror. <laughs> my sister came back from, from, from breakfast. I begged her to let me practice with her. We practiced for an hour. Then we did all the classic things during the day, like swimming, go by the beach. 11 p.m. came. It was game time. And so I went back into the club, knew exactly what was going to happen, uh, did my Western dance moves until 12 a.m. The music changed, started scanning the room. And then the only person I could find who was not dancing with anybody was the exact same girl. From the <laughs> <night. And> I, <laughs> I lost all my confidence. Uh, my, my shoulders shrugged down, my chest caved in, but you know, I made that decision. I was going to learn how to dance. And so I just walked up to her. I went to grab her by her hands. She went like this. And she was like, not again. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, no, like, insenyame, teach me. And she got super excited. She brought me into the middle of the dance floor, taught me the bachata. I danced with her for 45 minutes. And I ended up dancing with this girl every single night of the trip. Fell in love with dancing so much that I came back to Canada and started dancing. Literally, I took lessons, like 12 or 15 classes. And uh, now I can do salsa, bachata, and all these other things. Um, but the craziest part about the whole experience is that if I look back, if I didn't make the decision to learn how to dance, embarrass myself, be very vulnerable in a situation I knew nothing about, and then go back a second night and embarrass myself again in front of the same girl. I would have never realized that I could actually dance or too known that I love dancing. You know, it's usually a feminine thing, but I love dancing. I absolutely love it. And um, 
so what helped me get over that and, and get over that vulnerable state was one, making the decision. And then two, understanding that sometimes the things that you will love the most in your life are directly on that other side of that very uncomfortable decision. And uh, for me, it just so happened to be dancing and I love it. And I encourage other people to do things that are uncomfortable because you might just end up loving them too. So make the decision, like make the solid decision and just take the first step. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think aside from you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you were, uh, you didn't know the dance, you were, you know, yeah. you, you, you didn't really know the language or anything like that. But the other thing too, I think that's also good to point out is you're in a, a different country. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's another part of it too. Like you said here, you can come back and you can take lessons and everybody in the room is taking a lesson. So you're around other people that are learning, maybe some more experienced than others, but you're in a completely different country in a completely different space where, you know, the culture is different. The people are different. Everything is different. And, you know, so for you to, to continue to sort of push yourself is pretty incredible. And I think the other point to take away from that too is, you know, you had mentioned that you had a plan. Right. And I think a lot of us, as much as I agree with you, it's important to just sort of like do uncomfortable things and jump into them and and, you know, go f- like full force. If you don't have any sort of plan, it can fall apart a lot easier. So I think yeah. that that's another strong point. So I guess from that story and, and from these experiences, what new strength did you discover in yourself? The ability to. I think planning is a big one. Planning didn't come out of that one specifically, but just to kind of add this to it, uh, plans are important because they keep you accountable. Right. Uh, and the reason being is like, I can say, you know, this month I want to make $10,000 in my business. And then it's like, okay, how are you going to do it? And then if you literally break it down and say like every day, I'm going to make 20 phone calls or every day I'm going to make 30 phone calls. That's the plan. That's the strategy. And then it, it holds you to it. So if I could just think back to the story for a second, uh, the second time I went back to the club, if I didn't go back with a plan, I would have just walked up to the girl, grabbed her hand. She would have said, not again. And I would be like, okay. right? had no strategy. So I think planning is a big thing that came out of that, but also past experiences as well. Um, other new strengths would include, um, I would say even more confidence. I'm already a, a confident kind of guy, but when you create a plan and then you follow through with it, you build confidence. Uh, Ed Milad said it the best. I think he said something along the lines of the only way to create confidence is to make plans for yourself. So saying things like I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. and go to the gym and then actually taking that action that builds confidence in yourself and also trust with yourself. You can you can trust yourself when you know that your word actually means something and you're going to do what you say. Um, So I think that's also something that came out of it uh, because I said I was going to learn how to dance and I did uh, regardless of what happened. uh, I'm a good dancer now too. So uh, I mean, like, <laughs> that that's a strength. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, yeah, the bigger ones are definitely the, the, the trust in my word. And then also the, the importance of, of planning and continuously making plans for whatever action I'm going to be taking. Oh, definitely. So I, I, this question is one that I sort of, I, I don't know, I, I have to figure out a better way to form it. Cause it's one that I think it's hard for everybody to define because everybody's you know definition of vulnerability and struggle and everything in life is different but would you say that you faced a lot of vulnerability in your life a little you know a moderate amount again i know you're still young but like where would you say you'd fall on on sort of that scale yeah um to be completely open and transparent i don't think i've been very vulnerable uh growing up i haven't been in situations that have forced me to be vulnerable um i'm actually in a fresh relationship it's been about a month now uh 
that we've there only about three weeks of eating so very fresh uh very new for me because growing up i didn't really put myself in i didn't put myself in a relationship because i didn't find someone or a partner that i was really interested in and this girl's changed the game for me <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh yeah it's 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 actually challenging because you know you put yourself on the line and you know like shit doesn't work out it's just like wow like i, I i'm really invested um so that's a whole new thing that I'm exploring in terms of relationships. But aside from relationships, because you can be vulnerable in all different aspects of life. Um, speaking on stages when I initially started was terrifying. Um, I sucked. I have the videos. I won't release them until I'm like 35. <laughs> <laughs> so don't even ask. Um, but I have those and uh, it, it, was, it was terrible. I choked up on stage two or three times. That was extremely vulnerable and embarrassing. Um, with my soccer, uh, I wouldn't say I was very vulnerable because most of the hardships and crying was dealt with at home or, or like behind closed doors. Only once or twice I broke down in front of like teammates and, and coaches and stuff uh, with my injuries. Um, so yeah, I don't think I've been the most expressive or vulnerable, but I definitely have my moments. No, definitely. And, and see, and this is what I mean about defining it differently because I, I don't necessarily, and this is even just from another interview that I had, I don't necessarily know that vulnerability is so much what we show on the outside. One of my past guests, she actually dislikes the word vulnerability because she feels like to many of us, um, we define it in that sense of like showing others our emotion and, and being in front of people and putting ourselves out there and all that kind of stuff. Whereas she looks at it as looking within yourself and finding your inner strength. Mm. And so, I mean, if you look at it that way, I mean, I know, I know again, some of your story and if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit more, um, you know, especially I think the one that for me that, that definitely sort of opened my eyes up to a different way of looking at things was your story about, you know, playing soccer and then having to sort of look at your life differently. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about that, but you know, again, it's, it's all how we define it. Right. And so, mm. you know, again, if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So my whole life, I wanted to be a pro soccer player uh, since the age of about four years old, uh, all the way up until 17. And one of the first steps to go pro is to get a scholarship, you know, full ride scholarship. It's your education gets paid for. And typically, if you go to a school in the States, that's really good. You go to the MLS draft afterwards, if you're a, a really, a really good athlete. And um, at the age of 13, before starting high school, I moved to Italy for six months of my life played uh, soccer with a semi-pro team there didn't sign a contract but because I was exposed to all these pro athletes I knew coming back to Canada exactly what I would have to do if one day I wanted to play at that level and so sacrificed everything throughout high school if it didn't support that goal or dream or vision of playing pro sports or soccer specifically and then at the age of 17 after all the sacrifice I got my first real success or break um the soccer men's head coach of Memphis University, a huge division one school, reached out, said, Sam, we want to bring you down to our campus on an official visit. Uh, they flew me out there. They showed me around and said, we want to sign you next year on one condition. We're going to come watch you play one last time. And long story short, I ended up, I ended up missing this showcase uh, due to a knee injury that I had um, a week before leaving uh, for that game. And I went to the doctor, got a really quick MRI, and I tore my meniscus in my left knee. So I, I couldn't play. My knee was swollen the size of a volleyball. I had to have a surgery. And uh, I, I ended up still having to go to the trip, sit on the bench, and watch my entire team play. It was probably like the toughest tournament I've ever had to sit through because like, our team was one to watch. And the second game of the tournament, there was about 80 coaches along the sideline 
holding pens and clipboards. And every player on my team got a full one division ride scholarship, including the bench players that were healthy. Uh, I didn't get any looks because of my knee, like at all. And my coach wouldn't push my name because it didn't make any sense. Um, flew back from the chip, went into the doctor's office, and I was like, Jason, we need to have the surgery and we need to have it right now. And so I had the surgery done within uh, four months. I was fully recovered. Uh, Memphis was back in touch saying, Sam, don't worry. We're going to come watch you play next year. Everything will be fine. And uh, I got the captain's armband back. I was playing 90-minute games. I was healthy. My academics were you know, back on track. Everything was looking great. And then six months post my first surgery, I was playing another match with my team uh, against the opposition that we always crush, like four or five nothing. And uh, I turned with the ball because I'm a midfielder. And as I was turning, I forgot to check my shoulder to see if anyone was behind me. And as I turned, this guy came slide tackling in on my left ankle. And uh, it's a slide tackle. Like you get hundreds of slide tackles all the time in soccer. It's part of the game. But I stood up and I took two steps and like I immediately stopped. I felt the exact same pain in my left knee that I felt six months earlier. Like the, the same feeling. I didn't really like let anyone know. I just walked myself off the field into the parking lot, out of my car. Went home, history repeated itself back in Dr. Jason Smith's office, second uh, MRI, had to have a second surgery. Um, but the reason I had a second surgery, and I always talk about this, is not because I wanted to continue pursuing this dream of pro soccer. It was more so to preserve who I thought I was. Looking back at it now, because I didn't realize it in the moment, but looking back at it now, I was so attached to the sport. Uh, and it was so attached to me, my identity, because I thought if I wasn't a soccer player, or if I didn't have soccer in my life, that I would be absolutely worth nothing. And, you know, people can relate. You can probably relate. We all have these things in our life that we attach ourselves to. And when you lose the thing, you feel like, who the heck am I? What do, what do I have to offer? And so I took the second surgery, took a fifth year of high school. Again, long story short, I ended up tearing the meniscus in my knee a third time in my opposite knee uh, before, you know, making the decision to quit playing the sport and really not just quitting the sport, but giving up who I thought I was. Um, and that was like a big shift in my life at the same time that I had my teacher who kind of changed everything for me. But yeah, that's pretty much the, the gist of it. <laughs> no. And, and I mean, I can, I can't relate exactly because I'd never, I never really had that same passion in life. You know, I'm sort of finding it now, I feel like, but you know, throughout life, uh, for example, you know, for me, I was in sales my entire life. Like that's yeah. all I've known how to do from like 17, which was, you know, just after I got my first job. Um, to a couple of years ago, all I did was sales. I, I did sales and anything and everything because I thought I'm just a salesman. This is what I know. And my entire identity was tied to being a salesman. Like mm -hmm. even my wife asked me probably five, six years ago at this point, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I said, sales, no real, like, you know, she's like, of what, like for who? And I was like, I don't know, sales. And like, that's all I knew. That's all I thought about. And it wasn't until I got let go from my job a couple of years ago, which has been one of my last jobs in sales at this point, mm -hmm. um, that I sort of realized that's not me. That's not my identity, but it's all I had known. It's all I had stuck to. It's all I had thought about my, you know, my, my plan was, you know, really be really good in sales, move up to a sales manager, you know, and so on and so forth and make that progression. It was all about title and money. And I think part of that was, you know, at a young age, like I said, 17, when I got my first job in sales, there was the salary and there was this thing called commission. And I was just like, wow, this is cool. Like I get to make more money for things that I do. And so like, there was this whole, like, uh, you know, I guess addiction is the best way to put it of like, you know, the money and everything. And so my whole life up until that point was driven by titles and, and how much money I made. 
And it wasn't until that, that event a couple of years ago that I had to sort of look at myself and go, is that who I am? Am I Brian, the sales guy, or is there more to me? So I can kind of relate to your experience. Like I said, it's just in a, in a, in a different, different way. way. Yeah. So, you know, and I know that, uh, you know, that the way that story sort of ended there, as you told us, but I also know, like, just again, from following you over the last couple of years, that that is what sort of gave you that idea or that, uh, maybe not idea is the right word, but it, it, it got you to start looking within catalyst. yourself and yeah. yeah, the catalyst, there you go. Perfect word <laughs> to, to sort of push you to start looking at what you did want. And I also know, I mean, just from our conversations and up to you, whether you share more or not, but like that you've sort of, you, you've hit those sort of same roadblocks and things a couple mm-hmm. times again. And, and for me, what amazes me is that you continue to sort of, you know, acknowledge it and then figure out where do I go from here? Yeah. Yeah. So after the surgeries ended and soccer, you know, came to a halt, um, I think that you know, every adversity in life comes with like another couple of doors being open if you're willing and, and uh, ready to move forward. And for me, I had a teacher in grade 12, all this was happening my second semester, who was very passionate about social problems and solving social issues. And his name was Michael Loudfoot. I always want to credit him because he kind of really changed my life. And uh, he was teaching us about how to change the world. Really, that's pretty much what it was in class. And he was breaking down figures in history who have made a massive impact to try and like decipher their life and see if there was any traits they had that allowed them to make a difference. And my teacher said there was this one thing that they all had in common. And if we chose to embody it, we too can make a massive change. And at this point in time, I couldn't play sports anymore. So I was super engaged. My teacher was extremely passionate. And like for me, a passionate teacher is a, it's a rare thing if I'm being completely honest with you, someone who stands up in front of you and like is sweating when they talk because the guy was just so into the class. He was so engaged and it it had the effect on me to to also be engaged and listen. And so when he said, you know, there's one thing I started whispering under my breath, you know, sir, what is it? What is the one thing? And it's as if my teacher heard me because he stood up, walked into the middle of the classroom, looked at me and he said, Sam, the most important thing all these people did is that they all took thousands of small consistent actions. If you want to make an impact or a change, take a small, consistent action. And I didn't talk about it in the past, but my first response or reaction to my teacher was like, yeah, okay, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, okay, take a small action. You're going to put me on the blackboard with those names. Like, I don't think so. Those people are huge. Like I'm not going to be able to do something like that. And, um, but every day I'd walk home from school and I couldn't get that idea out of my head. And after 14 days, I started asking myself, you know, as a student, what small action can I take? Like, is there anything I can do in my community to see if my teacher's idea is correct? And about, about 14 days of asking myself that question, I finally came up to an answer as I was walking home and I kind of became conscious to all the trash and litter that was on the sidewalk. And uh, what you alluded to earlier about my roadblocks, I'll touch on that in a second. But the first thing that came to mind when I was walking home was there's trash and litter everywhere. Why not just pick it up? And so I started picking up trash and it was like, this is my small consistent action. Like this is going to be my test of my teacher's theory. I'm just going to pick up trash walking home. And I did it for four months, not being an environmentalist or something along those lines, but it was more so this is a small action. Let's give it a shot. And uh, five days before summer break, one of my buddies saw me driving home. His name's Dylan Mendez pulled over and was essentially like, Sam, what the heck are you doing? (laughs) I explained to him, you know, my teacher told me this theory. I'm just taking the action and supposedly a massive change is supposed to happen. Let's just see what happens. And so he's like, dude, this is a great idea. Let's do something with it. 
we created a group and initially we called ourselves the OG Wastemans. <laughs> we, <laughs> like, yeah, we thought like, you know, all these young people are going to laugh at us, but it turns out like no one wants to be called a waste man. Like, <laughs> they're just like, it's just a funny word. And then we got some speaking gigs at like local churches and we didn't want to be introduced like that. So we just kind of like cut the name. And uh, one day we were sitting on couches in Dylan's house and trying to think of a name. And from the kitchen, his mom was cooking and she just yelled, pick waste. And we were like, pig waste. And she's like, no, 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 no pick, pick waste. And like, hmm, pick waste. Cause we're from Pickering. We pick up garbage. And so yeah. like, we instantly loved the name, created it, got the URL, bought everything. And uh, we went out that summer and started picking up trash for one hour once a week. Uh, it turns out my teacher's idea was correct. We never stopped the project. To this day, we've done about 120 cleanups since July 1st, 2017. Filled over 1,300 bags of trash and litter. It got featured all over the news. We were invited to do TEDx speeches uh, titled Small Consistent Actions about the project, both of us. And um, yeah, like a lot of things started to happen from that. And through it, that's where I developed my passion for speaking. Uh, and I realized that it wasn't actually even about pick waste. And here's like the, the turning point, the roadblock and the stumble. Um, I realized that as I started getting into pick waste deeper and deeper, I was assuming this new identity. It's like Sam, the soccer player was gone. And it was like Sam, the environmentalist making like all the heat, you know? And uh, to the point where we got like recognition on the news, we got top 25 and 25 environmentalists, all these like nice, nice, nice things. Um, I started to put them on like a jacket and I was like, ah, I'm the environmentalist. And at the same time as all this was going on, I would have been starting my second year university. So I, I obviously had that, that pressure, not only from family, but society and friends and every stranger I've ever met that I've told this story to saying things like, Sam, I know I'm not your mother, but go to school. <laughs> and yeah. so I made the decision to go to school, but I didn't know what course I wanted to study. So I put the jacket on the environmentalist and I was like, ah, environmental science, political science. One day I'm going to make a policy change. This is brilliant. And uh, I started two months into it. I dropped out and hardest conversation I had with my family. There was a vulnerable moment uh, telling my family over the phone while they're eating dinner with friends. I'm dropping out. Of, I'm dropping out of university. Um, went through a, a little bit of a struggle there because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life uh, for probably like a good month. I, I mean, deep down, I knew I wanted to speak, but it was like, okay, I'm losing all these things that I just built and the title and like, you know, it was painful. Um, and so I realized, like I said earlier, there was a bigger message at play and it was just small actions in general that every student can make an impact regardless of what field it is, what social problem it is, what passion it is. This is a, this is like a, it's like a blanket theory. It applies to all things in life and you can take it and use it for whatever you want or you choose. Pick waste is how it played out in my life, but uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't define me uh, or one specific thing. And so today, uh, pick waste still runs. It's a great project. I am definitely passionate about the environment, but not to the degree at which I thought I was um, or which I portrayed at a time in my life. Um, but keep in mind, like I'm still very environmentally conscious and all this kind of stuff. And I still mm -hmm. talk about it, but it's not like I am the environmentalist. Um, rather today I speak, I travel across, across, across the country, just Canada for now, uh, uh, speaking to high school kids and elementary students specifically about how they can use their own gifts and talents to make a difference in the lives of other people. And that's what brings me the most joy and fulfillment. And there's nothing to say that that won't change in the next five years, but that's what it is right now. And I absolutely love it. So. 
No, and I think what what I take away from both of those stories and everything you shared there is that you have to be very careful what you tie your identity to. And it's more important to maybe just figure out who you are as a person rather than what, you know, again, these titles, like what I said about with sales and, and what you said about you were Sam, the soccer player. And then now you're, then you were Sam, the yeah. environmentalist. And you have to be very careful yeah. with those sort of things of, of how you define who you are, because if you suddenly don't feel attachment to them anymore, then you go back to square one and then you're trying to figure it all out over, all over and over again. So mm -hmm. again, you know, I think it's what, what amazes me, like I said, at the beginning of this episode is that even as young as you are, that you're, you're figuring a lot of this out already. I mean, it took me 30 years or 31, I guess, <laughs> till I first started to, to hit that journey. So, I mean, you're, you're, the way I look at it, you're 10 years ahead of me. And I know we're all different places, different times, and we shouldn't compare. And, and it's not so much of a comparison, but it still amazes me, though, that you've been able to figure that out. And kudos to you. And hopefully what you're doing and speaking can help other younger uh, kids, you know, elementary, high school kids start to figure it out sooner. Because I, I was just literally having this conversation with somebody that I work with yesterday and saying that, you know, the way that the education system and things are set up these days, you go through school, you get to high school, you get to grade 12, you sit down with like a, a counselor at school or grade 11, maybe I don't remember anymore because it's been a long time. But anyways, you sit down with a counselor at the school and they say, what do you want to do? And it's like this list of jobs, you know, you got like everything from like a firefighter to an engineer to, you know, whatever in between. And then, okay, they're like, okay, cool. You pick that career. Okay, here's all the courses you need to take. And there's never really a discussion about like what you like as a person, what you enjoy doing, what, you know, something that is way, maybe way out there, but is something that you enjoy. And I feel like what you're sharing now through your, your talks and everything is, is giving kids a chance to think about that. Because if they don't, I think a lot of them will go through university and, you know, four years later, get out of it and still be confused and still not know what they want to do. And that's mm -hmm. a scary thought. And I've seen it happen to a lot of friends, a lot of family members who have, you know, gone to school four or five years, spent thousands and thousands of dollars, get to the end and are just like, I still don't know what I want. Right. So, again, kudos to you, man. So how would you say that everything that you've you. experienced over the last, you know, whatever it is, 20 years, few years, however, whatever way you want to look at it, how would you say that everything that's <laughs> happened has helped you get to where you are right now? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I believe everything happens for a reason. So like even the hardships, even the successes, everything happens for a reason, but it has no meaning. And like, you're the person giving the meaning to all the situations that happen in your life. So I always try and look at things with a positive outlook. Um, but then like really the big successes are things that have gone great. I don't brush over them. I celebrate them, but I don't glorify them to the point where I'm like, ah, I can just take a backseat and like rest and relax <laughs> uh, because then you'll just never move forward and you'll, you'll, you'll stay the same. Um, but yeah, I give everything that's happened over the past 20 years, meaning that supports where I'm trying to go. Um, trying to like think about how to squish 20 years into like a sentence, <laughs> but um, I mean, there's so many things that, that have, that have helped me and supported me. And one of them is being like a lot of people that are very selfless. Um, and I think that's like an important thing that sometimes people overlook. Uh, it's don't just do things by yourself, like get a crew of people to help you. I have so many mentors that have taught me so many things and they're just one phone call away. So not only the situations that happen in my life shape me, but like the people who are supporting me through those situations have like totally changed my life. Um, Alvin Brown, Cody Shewin, Marlon Shaw, I can go on and on with like 20, 30 people that have selflessly given of their time and their expertise to teach me. So 
Yeah, that leads me to say also, like, I think education is not a physical situation because you were just talking about it, um, but it's more of a mindset. Like, you know, you're always trying to learn. You're always reading books. You're always searching for answers. Like, I think that's also education. It's just a different form. And uh, something that struck me was like, because, sorry, I'm getting back to this education thing just because, like, you, you talked about it. Yeah. I, uh, I was working last night. I worked part-time at the keg, like, two or three times a week. And there was a table, and she thought I was 30 years old. And I was like, I look 30? Like, <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Like, uh, not, not, I'm not 30 yet. 30 is not old at all. But I was like, yeah. I'm 20. Like, you're 10 years off. <laughs> and, and she was like, oh, no, like, you're very mature. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, that's a compliment. And she's like, why are you like, why are you so mature? And I was like, what? Like, you want me to explain? <laughs> <laughs> Just order your meal, lady. <laughs> I was like, what? And she's like, no, I'll explain. So I told her like what I do and I speak and like, I told her some stuff and she was like, oh, like that, that makes a lot of sense. But, uh, you're 20. Are, are you in school? And I was like, no, like I'm not in school in the moment. And, and that's when she stopped, went like straight face and was like, I know I'm not your mother, but go to school. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I'm thinking about it. She's like, no, no, no like go to school. And she said like three or four times before I asked her, I was like, oh, like, what did you go to school for? And like, I didn't say it in a mean way. I was just yeah. curious. And she's like, oh, I went for cosmetology. And I was like, oh, awesome. Like cosmetology, like, like, like aesthetics and stuff. Like, are you working in that industry? And she's like, oh, no, like, absolutely not. And I was like, enjoy your meal. <laughs> it's not a education is not a physical situation it definitely can support it if you're not self-disciplined enough to go and search for answers but it's a mindset man just take the actions every day to learn new things but um i went really off track it's been uh putting meaning into my like the things that happen in my life like assigning meanings to them that support my vision and goals and dreams and also my well-being as a person and then the people who are surrounding or who i surround myself with uh, that have helped me you know become the person i am today over the past 20 years no oh, definitely uh, so, you know and and you, off track or not i mean i think yeah. that's a, a great story <laughs> to share because it's it's true like and i've said the same thing to people if you want to become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that you have to there's no yeah. choice there's no choice yeah. in the matter like you have to go through that type of education because it's required for you to have that type of career but if you don't know what that career is it, like you don't have that like you were saying if you're not clear or defined about what you want or where you want to go it's a very scary thought to me to just sort of throw yourself into that mm -hmm. you know physical education as you called it of going to university and getting a degree and not really knowing what you're going to use it for mm -hmm. you know and and i agree in terms of like the other ways of learning i've been reading uh, i've been getting up every day at 5 a.m for the last uh, month and a half or so uh doing the whole 5 a.m club that yes. robin sharma talks about and 20 minutes of my morning is reading and i will tell you the amount that i've learned just in that last month and a half and and i was reading before that but this is more consistently mm -hmm. is incredible like it's just it's it's crazy to me like how little we know about you know our minds and and how things work like i again i could this could turn into a whole different podcast whole different episode but it just <laughs> it's so true that you have to just find other ways to learn whether it's from people or books or whatever i mean like i said at the beginning of the episode i learned from you on how to get this whole podcast going right if i hadn't reached out and had that conversation this might be another three four year month down the road who knows right mm -hmm. um so you know key points there so would you say at this point, I mean, again, you know, and I keep harping on the young thing and I shouldn't be doing that, but like at this point in your life, would you say that you found success and fulfillment or you're on your journey towards it still? Yeah, I think it's a ever evolving process, um, but I'm happy in the moment. And like I, I said this on my 20th birthday, like I'm striving to live a life that, you know, I can remain hungry 
uh, for more, whether that be in any aspect of life, not just like success, like success for me isn't just money. It's like a lot of different things. Um, I want to find a state where I can remain hungry for more um, while also being at peace with everything that I already have and, and am. Um, and so for me, like I've been really striving to live that kind of a life and uh, I find that the most fulfilling. So I would say they, um, definitely have like seen success and fulfillment, uh, especially when I'm at peace with everything. Um, but always still remaining hungry and, and striving for, for growth. Uh, that would be like the, the main goal, but yeah, definitely have seen improvements and, uh, success and fulfillment hundred percent. That's, that's an interesting way to answer that question. Cause most people have said yes or no, just very cut and dry. Yes, I have, or no, I haven't. Whereas yours was like, yes. And still there's more like, that's an interesting way to put it is that, yeah, you found it, but you know that there's still more, there's still a journey out there. Right. So yeah. I, I, definitely a different way of looking at it. It's like finding the, it's like finding the balance of like, yes, I want to grow, but at the same time, like I'm content and, and I'm at peace because if you're always like, yes, I want more. Yes, I want more, but you're never at peace with what you have and with who you are. It's like a never ending struggle. And you're like popping more pimples on your face because you're stressed out all day. And it's just like, it's just not happy. Like I, I want, I want to have the balance and like, that's the goal. But yeah. No, I, I don't know if you, if you're a fan of J Cole or hip hop in general, but I remember watching a video with him recently where he talked about, you know, obviously he's a successful hip hop artist makes mm -hmm. millions of dollars. And he talked about how, you know, you make these millions of dollars and, and everybody thinks you're successful, but you ha it's like a, an addiction to drugs because the more money you make, you want to make more and then you want to mm -hmm. have more things. And then, and it just keeps going and going and going and going. And he talked about the same thing where it took him to get to a point of finding that inner peace where he realized like, cool, like I'm cool making millions more mm -hmm. dollars, but it's not important to me. It's not yeah. what runs my life. It's, you know, I'm doing this because I like doing it. I love what I do, the art of what I do. It's not about the millions of dollars anymore, the nice cars and nice watches, the girls, the whatever. And, and so, you know, I, I really can understand where you're coming from there, even in my own personal life. You know, it's for years, like I said, it was the job title, the, you know, the amount of money that I made, you know, even the house that I live in right now was sort of one of those things where I thought, you know, based on society, I got to have a bigger house. And, and I've sort of started to realize at this point, like, sure, it's great and everything, but it's not really the the key to it all the key to mm -hmm. it all like you said is having your inner peace and and being good with who you are and everything else from there will just sort of work for you at least that's yeah. the hope <laughs> <Right>? yeah <laughs> uh, so i got I mean, we're down to the last couple questions um one of the last ones that i ask so through this whole interview i mean if somebody were to sit back listen to it take notes there's probably you know 10 20 different takeaways that they can take that they can take from this episode to help them sort of with their own life, their own struggles and their own vulnerabilities. But if you could give everybody listening just three key takeaways um, that have helped you and that you think could help them, what would those be? Yeah. Um, well, you're a living testament to the first one. The first thing would be to ask for help. Uh, growing up, especially being a man, um, I always thought that like, you know, like I don't need to ask for help. Like I could just figure things out by myself, you know, like asking for help is belittling my pride. I'm not going to ask people for help. I'm not going to tap the guy driving the boat on his shoulder and be like, pull over so I can pee. Like, nah, I can hold it. <laughs> that didn't work. Like I started peeing myself. You know, like, um, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, you ask me, Hey Sam, can we go for a coffee and chat about podcasting? Look, and it's been like two months and you have a microphone and a pop filter and headphones and 
you're recording a freaking podcast, dude. Like <laughs> all you did was say like, Hey, can we talk? And we talked for half an hour and that was amazing. So I would say like the first thing is don't be afraid to ask other people for help because like people have answers um, and seek out those people and ask them for help. The second thing would be to, you know, do things uncomfortable or do things that push you out of your comfort zone with a plan. And thank you for bringing that to my awareness. Um, and you'll find things that you love doing. So I think that's like very important. And whether that be dancing, whether it be speaking, whether it be starting a podcast, interviewing people, like whatever it is, create a little plan to do it and just go take the action. I know you said that you're going to go with Jose and say hi to a hundred strangers. So I'm going to hold you accountable to it. Um, <laughs> if it's not done a month from now, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the third thing I would say is like to break things down into small steps. It's been said by so many people that we always underestimate what we could do in 10 years and overestimate what we could do in one year. And uh, just break your goals or your plans down to small, little, tangible, bite-sized things and uh, just take it one step at a time. You know, small, consistent actions, as my teacher would say. So I think those are like three pretty solid takeaways. Um, but yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's it. <laughs> no, I, and I agree with all of them. And even the last one there, one thing that I've also added in when I talked about the 5am club there a couple of minutes ago, I do his, you know, the, the sort of one, yeah, 2020, 20, the, the yeah. victory hour as he calls it. But then after I finished that, I actually added in my own little thing where I sit down and I grab a cue card. I just have a bunch of them sitting around in a desk and I write to do, and I put three tasks that I'm going to complete that day. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's nothing more than like folding the laundry Today, it's, you know, uh, writing out a couple more intros for the podcast. And I just have those three things. And I will tell you that it's not only has it helped me get more organized in my life, but just doing that pushes me to do more. Because even if I finish those three things, it's not like I'm like, okay, well, okay, I did my three things. Now I'm just going to sit down and relax for the rest of my day. I just find that I'm just more driven and, and everything. So it's, I totally agree in terms of breaking it down. I know I need to do more planning in terms of more parts of my life, but this was definitely a good start and, and it started small, like you just said. So, mm -hmm. so again, key takeaways there. Lastly, it's not so much of a question, but I just want to give anybody that comes on the podcast a chance to promote themselves, promote what they're up to, um, whether it's sharing their social handles, anything they're up to, upcoming events, whatever it might be. Just because, again, th this podcast is about the people that I'm having on um, and, you know, sharing their stories and then obviously like giving them this opportunity. So the floor is yours. Go ahead. Yeah. So I love connecting with everyone. Um, my website is samdema.com. That's S-A-M-D-E-M-M-A.com. And then my Instagram where I'll respond to almost all DMs or, or all DMs actually uh, <laughs> is at Sam underscore demo. Uh, what I'm up to right now is like literally just speaking. I just finished a 10 school tour in Waterloo. So if you're a teacher or a student listening, I would love to hear from you. Maybe we can bring the message into your school. Uh, I would love to, to chat. So I would say, yeah, Connect with me on Instagram, check out the website. If you're interested at all in the speaking stuff, shoot me a message. We'd love to chat. Awesome, man. Well, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing those stories. I mean, it, like the one thing that I, and I, I might've already said it, but I'll say it again, that amazes me about this whole journey that I'm on with this podcast is how no matter what the person's story is, no matter whether it's a health issue that they've had to overcome, family issues, personal, whatever it might be, you know, there's always a way out. And, and that's what I constantly see as I, as I, you know, do these interviews is that there's always a solution. There's always a way out. And you showed us again today that, you know, there, there are things that you can do. And 
I think a lot of the points that you made about planning and having a strategy and having goals and all that are definitely things that if we all focused on just a little bit more, we'd realize that, you know, even if we have that job that we don't necessarily like, we can get out of it. It's just that we have to actually put something to work. We can't just, you know, sit at our desk and hope and pray that one day we won't have to work there anymore. Right. So, but again, man, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing as openly as you did. And uh, yeah, man, we'll talk again soon. This was awesome. All the best, Brian. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to the vulnerable podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps get the word out and means more than you know. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching Vulnerable Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at the B-E-L-M-E-D-A, that's the B-E-A-L-M-E-I-D-A, or by searching my name on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, please let me know as I would love to interview them for the show. I appreciate you taking the time to listen and see you next week.